I found some time this week to make the next podcast with a good friend of mine called Scott Kozlowski. And Scott's a really smart guy. He, he runs a consultancy firm called Future Point of View and also tours the world speaking on all sorts of subjects like data security and the way we handle data. He's fortunate enough to go around and speak at many different countries and get a really unique point of view. What I wanted to get from our chat was how will we view our data in the future? How will we value it? How will we interrogate it? So without further ado, let's talk to Scott. So Scott, thank you very much for joining us today for the Transform podcast. Uh, pleasure having you. Hey, glad to be here, Matt. All the way from the United States. Yeah, so right now you're in your office. We've got a bit of time with you now before you shoot off to another one of your your talks. Um, tell us, Scott, tell us a bit about your background to kick us off. Wow, you know, I've been, uh, I've been in the technology field since 1981. And so for uh, over 30 years, and uh, I, I have done a lot of uh, building of startups, and uh, I do a lot of consulting work. And then along the way, uh, I, I got busy on the speaker circuit as well, talking about uh, where technology is headed in the future and how it changes certain industries. And so uh, my background is just uh, all technology, and uh, I feel really blessed that it's also been a 30-year time frame that's one of the most interesting ones we've ever, ever had in technology. So, uh, Yeah, and you've started a few companies yourself, that's right? Uh, I have. I've started probably six or seven companies and uh, sold uh, most of them. Um, there's still three companies that I have now, one, one that looks like it might go public next year, and then uh, two that we're still growing now. Okay. And so you do consultancy firm day to day? Yeah, we have a firm that's called Future Point of View and uh, it, it's a technology strategy firm. And so we uh, fly around the world doing lots of interesting projects uh, for companies on just helping them improve how they're using technology. And then uh, we have a cybersecurity firm as well, which obviously in the present conditions, the cybersecurity firm is, is growing. Yeah, I bet. I bet. And so are these the subjects you find yourself asked to speak on at these events? You know, today, uh, I would say about a third of all the, the talks are around cybersecurity. Uh, that's actually what yesterday's was about. And then uh, the other two thirds are really all about some form of digital transformation or digital maturity or Again, how technology is impacting certain industries. Everybody kind of wants a look ahead two or three years and wants to understand what's technology going to change. Yeah, yeah. And obviously that's you know how I met you is that future thinking and we kind of saw eye to eye on that, I think. Um, so has that been that future look? Is that what's driven you in your career and your passion? You know, it's funny because you, you don't, as a, as a high school kid, you know, or in school, I didn't think a lot about that. Uh, I loved technology because I just thought it was really an interesting tool. I loved what it could do. I loved what it could accomplish. I loved how it changed the world and how it changed our lives. And then somewhere along the way, I did start understanding that being able to, to look forward into the future and be accurate about predicting what would happen. Uh, that that was something that that really could help you make money because if you if you understood where technology was going to go, you know I could build a company that was headed in that direction. Yeah, and so as that's unfolded, obviously you've had 
you've taken in personal data and information and learned from that. So today's talk was framed around data and what we do with it. So what have you learned about our use of data and what should we be looking at for the future of that? Well, I think data, although we've been talking about it for a long time, is still one of the most underutilized assets you know, that we have in uh, that we have in technology. Um, I mean, data really turns into insight. I mean, that's really what it turns into. You know, uh, when people talk about data, what you're really talking about is the insight that it, it will give you. You know, yeah. what it will let you see that you've never been able to see before. And I think we're just scratching the surface right now of how powerful data can be and how it can be used. I think although we've been talking about it for decades, I, just, I still think that we, that we are not even close to understanding how to really fully utilize it. Mm. And so we're collecting more and more, you know, personal data and business data and, and the way we view that is changing all the time, I think. And I, 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 we see that all the time where people know it's the right thing to have some information, some data that they're storing, but like you say, they don't know how to dig into it or make it meaningful or useful yet. Um, so how are we going to start changing the way we view personal data? Well, I, there's a lot of aspects about personal data that's interesting. I mean, one is the debate on privacy. You know, uh, how, how, you know how much data are we going to allow people to have? Um, you know, what, what's the law going to be around personal data? Uh, you know, how are companies going to be able to use it to help us versus how, how might organizations use it to invade our privacy and hurt us? Uh, I, I think that personal data as an asset is something that, again, it, it's so new that, that, that organizations can collect hundreds and hundreds of fields on data from us. And there's so little agreement on uh, what law should be created around it, who should have the uh, ownership of that data. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I, I, we every, every country views this differently. You know, obviously Germany has much tougher privacy laws than we do here in the U.S. Uh, so, I mean, I, I see personal data as being something that uh, obviously has a huge impact on our lives and is uh, going to be uh, massive, you know, in what it's going to do with us. But I don't think we really have any idea yet um, how we're going to handle it, and what the rules are going to be. Yeah, and I think in the future, we're going to have obviously more control over our data. We, we, we've seen the, the, like you say, scratching of the surface with the privacy that we just have on Facebook. But I think, you know, we have this digital imprint of ourself, um, not just our bank details, but our likes and dislikes. And I think as time goes on, normal people will see the value that that has because businesses right now are built on data and the value of people's personal data. And I think only personal data could become more valuable and people will be more aware of the value of their own data as well. Um, and you're the right, it, the same here in the, in the UK right now which is where I am, uh, you know, the data, data protection and the handling of data is one of the first things that people want to understand how their information is going to be used and stored. It's becoming more and more the first thing on people's lips <laughs> rather than the, you know, later on down the line. Um, so what is the, what is the problem we're finding right now with, again, I guess the way businesses harvest data and while how I want to frame this question is not like 
big business and how they're doing it and maybe how they're doing it ethically or, or, or inethically. But I mean, as an SMB or a, a large, a, you might own a large business, how we harvest data and how we can use that more effectively. Well, the, the best thing that I like is when people are harvesting data to improve relationships. So when, when a business is able to gather 50, 60, 70 fields of data on me uh, that help them to build a better relationship with me and better serve me from a convenience standpoint. So when, when a company that I'm doing business with only has six fields of data, uh, they certainly cannot personalize the relationship with me. And so that's you know one of the most positive uses that I can see is when organizations gather a lot of data with the with the goal of being able to build a better relationship with their patients, their members, their clients, their customers. And so uh, I, you know there's an argument that you know a lot of different organizations could could benefit their consumers, whoever their customers are, uh, by knowing them much better. So I see that as a very positive step towards, uh, you know, personal data. Uh, you know, the, the negative side of it is when organizations who you don't want to do business with are gathering your information and then just using that information in, in an annoying way. Yeah. And we've all, I think we've all been victim to that annoying phone call. Uh, Cause that in here in the UK, what we get is, Oh, we've heard you've been in a car accident. And sometimes I don't even know how they got that information because I get those calls all the time and I haven't been in a car accident any time recently. So I have no idea where they're harvesting this data from. I think the insurance companies must give it to them on, on some level. So that's obviously one way that people are doing it wrong. Do you find that people are collecting and amassing their own kind of personal big data, but don't really know how to start looking at it and doing something meaningful with it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there are people that, that got really entranced with the concept of big data. And so they, they try to gather a lot of information, but they don't know how to analyze it or they don't know how to pull the insights out of it. Uh, and again, I think that's part of us just being young with understanding the value of data. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, it's an immaturity, right? An immaturity with handling data is to say, hey, we should gather up a lot of data. So let's go get, let's harvest a lot of data. But then not having the people on your team uh, that, that have any kind of data science skills or, or any ability to turn the data into insights. And so, you know, once you start to mature as a company that can use data, you start to be able to have more people that, that can create insights and value out of that data. So do you think that this is like a job title we're seeing a lot more companies having a data scientist or someone who can handle the data um within a business that, and i think i guess that's around I, I see us having a role in a lot of businesses that's data scientists that, and maybe that's the way they handle the personal data and handle the business data but also how they analyze it um, do you see that in the future for a lot more businesses that traditionally wouldn't have had that kind of role definitely in the u.s the, um, you know the the position of data science is one of the hottest positions right now yeah uh, it, it's very well paid. We have a shortage of data scientists. It's hard to find good data scientists. Uh, and, and so it's one of the hottest positions here in the US. I, I do think that you know, every company, medium size on up, is going to need one or more full-time data scientists uh, because you know, they're, they're going to have so much opportunity to be able to 
pull valuable information out of data, but only if you have somebody that has that science mind. I mean, somebody that's got the creativity and skills to be able to look at a bunch of data sets and then pull the value out of them. And, th and that takes some pretty unique skill. Yeah. It's asking the right questions, isn't it? Interrogating it in the right way. So it is out there right now. Is, has there been any tools or apps that you've seen that maybe help people get started with this? So I guess some entry level ones and then some, maybe some more enterprise level stuff. You know, the, most of the tools that you see are uh, in categories, right? There's visualization tools like Tableau and there's analytical tools like R uh, and, and then there's data platforms, you know, and there's many different data platforms. Uh, and so, you know, what we're starting to see now is that some of the platform makers are starting to combine different tools. Uh, so that you can get one platform that does multiple things. It can do uh, predictive analysis. It can build a rules engine. It can have data visualization. Uh, and so uh, it, it just like that, I think our ability to exploit data is still immature a little bit. The market for the tools is really still immature. And so, uh, you know, I think we will see for the next 10 to 20 years uh, a real blossoming of tools to help us manage data even at the personal level, right? I mean, if you really think about it, we don't have very good tools that allow us to manage the data we want to see on a daily basis. It's, you know, it's very unstructured. Um, you know, I think I've always thought like that we will get better personal tools to use on our mobile devices uh, that allow us to be able to tap into all the data in the world in a much more sophisticated way than we do today. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, you know, I've seen the enterprise level software like Microsoft BI. I personally think you need to have to know what the right questions are to use that effectively. And then there's apps like Domo. I don't know what, if you've heard of Domo, uh, but they integrate with things like Salesforce and your marketing automation tools to help you. And they use apps as the questions, you know, help you gather the information and then hopefully give you some meaningful insight behind those business tools. Um, yeah. Have you, have you seen any others like that? Uh, you know, it, the, mostly what we see are the pretty big enterprise class tools. Mm. So, uh, I mean, I'm familiar with Domo obviously, but uh, you know, we're, we're, we're typically seeing kind of enterprise class tools just because of the size of the clients that we have. Yeah. And are they, are they now looking, so those enterprise clients, obviously having a data scientist is important, but is there any kind of tricks that we see these guys doing now that these small businesses will be doing around automation or you know, machine learning? I think the biggest thing that we're seeing is people starting to tie uh, AI in general um, to the databases. And uh, that, that's the big interest level right here now is, uh, uh, you know, how, how do we um, use AIs to drive some of the insights or to help us find the insights or to help us make decisions based off of the data? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and sure, you know, some of the AIs are starting to be, have machine learning or be cognitive computing systems. And so, you know, a growing thing that we're seeing is people talking to IBM about renting Watson and bolting Watson to some of their data streams. And, and I think we're going to see that more and more with people using Google DeepMind to do the same thing. I suspect Amazon will go buy an AI company pretty soon and Amazon will offer the same kind of uh, ability to rent AI power in the cloud. 
And so that, that's kind of one of the bigger things we're seeing right now with data is the integration of AI with data structures. Yeah, I agree. And we had it where we were talking with the IBM Watson guys. And I, what I've seen them doing is, is partnering with data collection tools like us or um, medical companies who are you know making money through helping people with the digital transformation of their business and seeing how they could potentially partner to leverage the the Watson platform uh, right away. And I think that's the start. And then we'll, I guess they'll, once they really get a better idea of how people are using it and how it could be used, like you say, it will be a for service thing like an AWS or something like that. Right. I think, I think you can see the writing on the wall here, at least I'll, again, I'll just speak for the U S you can see the writing on the wall that, that there's a few big companies that are saying, you know, AI computing power is just the next step in cloud. So instead of just renting MIPS and storage, you know, you'll rent MIPS, you'll rent MIPS storage and AI capabilities. And uh, I think it's a great idea and I think it's going to really take off over the next decade. So, you know, the way it's worked with cloud is that it just became cheaper and cheaper and cheaper until you, you couldn't really create your own Dropbox again and try and make money through storage. So do you think that the cloud of AI that will become a a purchasable item will kind of help AI get smarter and will just kind of accelerate that? Absolutely. I think, you know, AI's disappointed people for 20 or 30 years you know we've talked about it and it's been around but it you know it it didn't really take off because it was expensive to build and uh, we didn't have platforms that you could build on top of very easily and i think that's all changing now and so i I suspect once you let people rent ai platforms uh there'll just be an explosion of different applications yeah yeah and do, do you see any kind of negative <laughs> negative things ahead of that? Sure. I, I mean, I'm concerned about uh, people using AIs to make decisions that humans used to make and that the AIs won't have the same level of discretion. And uh, until the AIs learn enough, uh, sometimes they'll have a bias or they'll make decisions that, that won't be good. Mm. Uh, you know, I think there's always the danger of... Um, companies becoming too dependent on AIs without having any human ability to ever make that decision. And so, uh, the, you know, the AIs start making decisions that aren't a hundred percent correct, you know, or giving advice that isn't the best advice, but no, you know, there's nobody that's a human being that's even looking anymore, uh, at, at the results. So, I, I mean, I, th- I think we're probably learned a lot of lessons, uh, about how we implement AI. But it, that we learn a lot of lessons with a lot of things. You know, we, we invent things all the time that we don't understand what the collateral damage is. Mm. Uh, I think the big fear with AI is that the collateral damage is going to be a, a lot higher in some cases uh, and, until we learn our lessons. Yeah, and I'm sure it depends on the applications of those things. It seems that the spin that you have on a lot of these things is – still being able to inject the human element into it. So if we're going to be collecting all this information, all this data, it should be to make the experience better for the humans. Yeah. I, I, I think um, whether that experience is, is more convenient or more profitable. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, to me, technology has always been a tool. You know, it's always a tool to help improve humanity. And that's the way it should be looked at. 
Uh, and so, you know, when things I get concerned about are, you know, when you're going to use an AI to do an autonomous weapon, uh, and, and military start thinking that that's the right thing to do, and then the AI is now making indiscreet decisions on who it kills. Okay, well, now we're not using technology to help humanity, right? Now we're not using AI for something that's helping the world in any way. Yeah. And you see AI and big data going hand in hand. You know, the better we get at analyzing data and processing big data, the better our AI and our automation becomes. Absolutely. I mean, AI is built on top of big data. I mean, it's just built on top of it. I, I don't, you almost can't have one without the other. Uh, you know, the data is what feeds the AI. But it's the same way with our brains, Matt, right? It's always been that way. I mean, our, our brains can only make decisions based on having a lot of experience and data to make those decisions on. And so I, I think the big change for companies is for years when companies have done BI or companies have worked to be good at data, the, the goal has been to make your people smarter. And so if we can give the people more insights and better dashboards and better reports, uh, then the people would be smarter. The big change now is that, no, now your big data, half of its value is driving AIs, and the other half is making people smarter. And that's a big change in thinking, that, that, that a lot of the purposes for the data is to make the AI smarter, not just to make your people smarter. Yeah. I heard you do a talk once, and you, you said that the cell phone, our iPhones, our Android phones, we had to change and understand how that fit into our life, that it's an extension of our brain. We don't need to remember everything in our calendar anymore because it's in our phone. <laughs> and um, that's how I see AI is we don't need to do these tasks. AI can do it so we can get smarter at being human and how the human can interface better um, with people. Um, I think, you know, I'm going to wrap it up there. I mean, I think that's been really, really useful uh, for me anyway to understand that. And I think it's really interesting to see how, I mean, the big thing that came from that for me is how, you know, data has to come first. And once we work out better how to collect information, how to analyze it, how to understand it, then AI and automation can really come into its own. Um, so again, thank you very much, Scott, for, for coming in today and, and chatting with me about this. Always glad to talk to you, Matt. Great. Okay. Thank you very much, Scott. LaunchCloud created Transform podcasts and ebooks to help support you in your digital transformation. You want to download our books now? Go to launchcloud.com forward slash books.